Today is Chafav, which is the yard site, the anniversary of the passing of the Rebbe's father, the rabbi and the Kabbalist, Harav Levi Yitzchak Schneerson, of blessed memory. And rather than tell stories about the Rebbe's father, and there are many, 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 many stories of heroism and courage during the darkest days of Soviet oppression of the Jewish people in Russia. But what I wanted to do is something much more ambitious, and that is to share a teaching from the Rebbe's father himself. And I say this is more ambitious, not only because it's more difficult to teach uh, Torah than it is to tell stories, but specifically the Rebbe's father's teachings. Um, the Rebbe's father's teachings were known for being extremely deep and extremely layered. He would make multiple references and have levels of meaning for every single word. Um, and it was all connected to the deepest Kabbalistic explanations of everything to the extent that one time the Rebbe's father was lecturing in uh, Dnepropetrovsk, the, the town where he was Rav for many years. And this story reached us by someone who was present there, someone who had actually been hired to be a Malamed for, for the Rebbe as a child, Chosid uh, Zaman Volenkin. So he was there, and he said that the Rebbe's father was giving a, 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 a class, and he was explaining the Kabbalistic significance. It happens to be what was the topic that he was talking about, about mikveh. And he was taking the word mikveh and breaking it down. The letters of mikveh are, if you rearrange them, kav ma, a line or an injection of what? Of nothingness, of, of selflessness. And he was explaining how that's what mikveh is, kav ma, by rearranging the, the letters of the word. And the Rebbe's father stopped and he said, I see that nobody's following, which was pretty much the case. Nobody was able to keep up. And the Rebbe's father said, Aberder Yingle, but that boy, the Rebbe's father pointed to the back of the room, Er Fashtet, he understands. And who do you suppose was this little boy that the Rebbe's father was pointing to in the back of the room and saying, okay, you, you grown-ups, you don't, you're not following the class. Oh, don't worry, there's one person who understands that boy. Who do you suppose that boy was? The Rebbe. So when we speak about the Rebbe's father's teachings, we're speaking about teachings from such a teacher that he really only had sometimes one person who could keep up with him, which was the Rebbe himself. And uh, when the Rebbe's father's teachings were finally published, and there's a whole background about that, how, how the teachings reached us, because um, the Rebbe's father was sent deep, deep, deep into exile. Uh, as a punishment for his anti-revolutionary activities, uh, bolstering Judaism during times of you know, the worst uh, oppression. And uh, he didn't even have paper to write on. And he, he wrote... He, the Rebbe's father was... For him, it, it was more important to be able to, to study and to teach than, than you know, eating, drinking, sleeping. And he was deprived of that ability. When he was in exile, his wife, the Rebbe's mother, Rebbe Tzankana, she used to crush leaves 
to make inks, and he would use the inks, and where would he write? He had no paper. He had a few sfarim, a few holy books, which were brought to him in exile, and he would write notes in the margins of the books that he had, and that's how he was able to express himself. And those books eventually were smuggled out, and they were printed, and it's called Lekutei Levi Yitzchak. And I, I will tell you, <laughs> Lekutei Levi Yitzchak, what, even when it came out, and the Rebbe was very, very happy when it came out, because his father's teachings were being shared, but the understanding by most people, I'm just saying how it was taken, okay, was that it's very important that this was published, and it's a beautiful thing that it was published, but this is deep, deep, deep Kabbalah. The Rebbe's father's teachings way, way, way over everybody's head. And so it's nice that we have it. It's beautiful that we have it, but you know, nobody really studies it. And, and like I said, you know, even, even in, in Dnepa Petrovsk, where the Rebbe's father was Rav, the, Rebbe, the Rebbe's father acknowledged that, look, nobody's keeping up with this class. And that's why what I want to tell you next is so remarkable. Um, what's remarkable is that there was a children's rally on Chaf Av this, this very day, in Tav Shemem Test, that's 1989. The, uh, the summer camp sent buses to 770, and the Rebbe spoke just to the children, to the campers. And in the talks that the Rebbe gave to the children on that day, on the day of his father's Yorzeit, the Rebbe said, we're going to give over a teaching from my father, whose entire life was Torah, and not just learning Torah, but teaching Torah, and not just teaching Torah in general, but specifically the deepest depths of Torah, the Kabbalistic, and especially how to connect the Kabbalistic to other levels of Torah, and we're going to explain it. This is what the Rebbe said at the beginning of the, of the, of the talk. And we're going to explain it in such a way that will be understood to children. And not only understood to children, but children will be able to apply it in their lives. So that's very, very ambitious. I'm just saying from an educational perspective, the Rebbe knew the kind of teaching style that his father had and the level of, of, of material I mean, that I've understood very well what kind of content uh, that his father's teachings were. And yet, that I've said, we're going to take it, we're going to bring it down, and we're going to explain it in a way that children will be able to understand it, not only understand it, but apply it. Apply it to their lives. And um, this is just my own commentary. This is just my own commentary, but I, I happen to feel that in a certain way that the Rebbe handed down something to us that he received from his father and the Rebbe as a father gave it to us who he saw as his children and that his father said look my son can understand these teachings and the Rebbe did the same thing he took the highest loftiest teachings of his father and he said yeah, they're lofty, but my, my, my son, my daughter, my children can understand these teachings. And that's precisely what the Rebbe did. The Rebbe took these deepest teachings and he taught them to his children. It's also interesting to me, and again, just my personal commentary. I told you the story where the Rebbe's father said, Der Yingel versteht, that boy is the one who understands. 
what was the Rebbe's father talking about? Do you remember when I said what topic he was talking about? The Kabbalistic significance of mikveh. So it happens to be this talk, which I'm about to, to tell you, um, when the Rebbe was speaking to the campers, to the little children, the Rebbe was explaining the Kabbalistic significance of mikveh. <laughs> now, why mikveh? There's, a, there's an overt connection to the, to the day of a yard site, and that is, if you look in the end of a siddur, there are mishnayas for a yard site. Okay, paragraphs of mishnah for a yard site. And the reason we study mishnah, a connection with a yard site, is because the letters of the word mishnah are the same letters as nishama. So for the elevation of the nishama, the soul, we learn mishnah. But there are particularly um, in the the body of of, of the mishnayas, there are. Uh, there's one place where we find one Mishnah starts with a, with a Nun, and the next one starts with a Shin, and the next one starts with a Mem, and the next one starts with a He. So you have Nishama. You have the four letters of the word Nishama, soul. And it happens to be in Mikvois, a, uh, a tractate of Mishnah that's about Mikvah. And the very last... Um, Mishnah, the one that starts with the hay, is Hitbal Bayasamita. It's about uh, toiveling a bed. A bed frame became impure and they had to put it in a mikvah. And then the last line that the chazan, when someone has a yard site, and customarily they, they are chazan, they, they daven, they uh, lead the prayers. So they say these Mishnah teachings at the end of the prayer service three times that day. And they say the last line they say out loud is like this. A needle which is placed on the steps, on the stairs going down to a cave. So you push the water to and fro. And then when the gal, the wave, goes upon it, it is pure, ritually pure. That's the line that a mourner, someone who has a yard site, says out loud. And so then the Rebbe says, we're going to take this, because it's a yard site, we're going to take that line, the needle which is placed on the stairs to the mikveh, you push the water to and fro so it washes over the needle and uh, purifies it. We're going to take that and explain it all according to Kabbalah, based on the Rebbe's father's teachings, in a way that even a child can understand and apply to his or her life. Okay, so here we go. This line from the Mishnah, the needle which is placed on the steps to the cave, will push the water to and fro until the water, until the wave covers the water and purifies it. We're going we're to explain this Mishnah uh, according to the Rebbe's father's teachings with Kabbalah in a way that children can understand, children of all ages, and, and even apply. Okay. So first we have to explain the simple meaning of the Mishnah. The simple meaning of the Mishnah is a very um, literal case. There's a needle. What's the needle? The needle's a needle, actual needle to use for sewing. What happened? The needle became impure. How did it become impure? We don't know, but uh, through the contact with something impure. There, there's laws for that. And now you want to make it ritually pure. So what do you do? You put it in a mikvah. Okay, but practically speaking, if you put a needle in a, in a mikvah, you're going to lose it. 
So he doesn't want to put, the person doesn't want to put the, the needle in the mikvah. So what does he do? He comes up with an idea. This mikvah is in a cave. That's the case here. Because there's like a spring of water in the cave, maybe an underground river or something. And there are steps leading down. I don't know if they're man-made steps or they're natural, you know, uh, descent down to the bottom of the cave where the water is. But there are steps leading down to the, to the water, to the mikvah. So he takes the needle and he puts it on the top step where it's dry. And then he pushes the water, makes a wave, you know, like little kids playing in a pool. Then the water washes over the needle and then washes back away. And then you have your needle sitting there on the step and the wave has been over it, has washed over it. And the, the ruling is tahira. It is ritually pure because it's considered to have been in the mikvah by, by pushing the water so that, the, the, that the, the water sort of makes a wave that covers the needle even though the needle was on the step and then the wave washes away and then the needles dry again but it's as if you put it right in the in the in the middle of the mikvah and it accomplishes what you need to accomplish okay so that's the basic simple literal meaning of the mishnah all right now the deep meaning ready okay here we go this mishnah is talking about every single Jew's purpose in this world. Because every single Jew's purpose in this world is accomplished by way of a needle. What's a needle? Or better stated, not what is a needle, what does a needle do? What's a needle for? What's a needle? It's a piece of metal, right? But that's not its value. It's not a piece of scrap metal. I mean, how many, how many needles would you need before you had enough metal that it would be worth anything? That's not the value of a needle. The value of a needle is what it does. What does it do? What, what function does it perform? It sews. What's sewing? Sewing is taking two separate things and making them one. That's what sewing is. So the Rebbe says like this. Our mission in this world is to take two things and make them one thing. There's the world in its physical state, and there's the creator of the world. And we have to show how the world and its creator are one. And doing so is an act of sowing. So life is sowing. It's all sowing. And in order to sow, you have to have a needle. Or, in a certain respect, you have to be the needle. And you perform an act of sewing, of attaching together the world with its creator so that they become one, like one garment made from two pieces of cloth. And how is this performed? How is this act of sewing performed? So the Rebbe describes it. A little child wants to drink a glass of water. And so before he or she drinks the water... He or she makes a bracha, shahakol niya bidvare. Blessed is Hashem, by whom, by whom all, through whose word, all has come into being. In other words, everything that exists is because Hashem has spoken it into being. And when the child takes that water and proclaims in this grandiose statement, everything has come into being through Hashem's word. This takes that glass of water, that, pronoun that pronouncement that the child makes, and connects that glass of water to its source. Because the glass of water, the Rebbe says, is not, 
The Rebbe speaks about very deep concepts to the children. The Rebbe says, the water is not self-sustaining. It doesn't exist on its own. It has a creator. And when we announce that everything has come into being through the Creator's Word, so we take that water and we connect it to its source, to its Creator, and make one, which is an act of sowing. Then the Rebbe continues and says, And the truth is, it's not even when the child makes a blessing on the drink of water. Even when the child doesn't drink water, and therefore he doesn't make a blessing. But just the fact that this child has been taught and knows the truth about the world, this knowledge, this awareness itself, it's very interesting, by the way. This is very quantum. You know, the, uh, the quantum physics, the idea in quantum theory about the conscious observer. Just the fact that there's a conscious observer who's aware of something, they make it more true or they make it more uh, factual. So... You know, Hashem is the creator of everything anyway. Whether, you know, if a tree falls in the forest and nobody's there to hear it, does it make a sound, right? If Hashem created the world and nobody acknowledges it, didn't Hashem still make the world? Our knowledge doesn't make it less true, and our lack of knowledge, I mean, our knowledge doesn't make it true, and our lack of knowledge doesn't make it less true. And yet, to a certain extent, there is this um, need to recognize to recognize, and it really it started with Avram Avinu, who was the first Jew, and he began this process as a child. He recognized that Hashem made the world, and not just Hashem made the world, but Hashem and the world are one thing. And he went out and he told the world that Hashem and the world are one thing. So this task is continued by the Jewish child. The Rebbe describes, then he paints a picture. A child is walking outside and passes a river. And the child looks at the river and thinks, this river was made by Hashem. Just that awareness, that consciousness, causes that the river and its maker should become unified in a way that they were not before. So it's not just that when the child makes a bracha on the water he's about to drink, but really just the fact the child walks around with these eyes, with this awareness, this sensitivity, and, and looks at things around him and says, Hashem made this, that consciousness itself creates a certain oneness that wasn't there before the child's eyes were, were uh, set upon whatever it is that the child is looking at now. Such a powerful concept, such a powerful concept, especially to tell a child that a child's awareness can, can have such an effect on reality itself. And, and, and when the Rebbe's painting this picture, the Rebbe says, and it may be that there are people who are walking around and they see the river and all they see is a river. They don't think about it deeply and they don't understand that it's really from Hashem. The Rebbe says, it doesn't matter. Don't be intimidated by that fact. Just one child looking at it in the correct way has an effect on the entire world, has an effect on reality. Okay, so that's one concept that we're all sowing, we're constantly sowing, connecting two things, making them one, that the world in its physical state and the Creator are really one. But to continue, the Rebbe takes out another layer of, of meaning here. When you're sowing, one of the things you have to know is that a needle has two ends. The, the one end is, is sharp and pointy, and it makes a hole. So when we're connecting the physicality of the world to its maker, one thing is we have to have a certain starkkeit, is the Yiddish that the Rebbe uses, a strength, but it means like a, 
a, uh, a boldness that our attitude toward the world can't be that we're intimidated by the world. To the contrary, we have to take charge and we have to be strong, we have to be tough. And like the, 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 the spitz, the point of the needle, that it, it's hard and it pokes through the thing that it's sewing. So to our attitude toward, toward the world has to be one of we are commanding. We are not being, we're not kowtowing. To the contrary, we are fierce, we are, we are fearless. We have this, you know, this certain... Um, I mean, the Rebbe's father really exhibited it, that just not buckling to pressure and being completely uh, almost uh, brazen in one's defiance of what the world says needs to be done. No, no, we don't do that. Okay, and that's the sharp point of the needle. So we have to have that type of attitude toward the world. At the same time, there's another end of the needle. There's the back end of the needle. The back end of the needle is the one that carries the thread. And what's a thread? Well, in Torah, we have a thread, the tzitzis. The fringes on the cornered garments are a thread. So tzitzis are a thread. Now tzitzis are compared to the entire Torah, to all the mitzvahs. That's why it says, and you will see them and do all of Hashem's mitzvahs. So all the mitzvahs are compared to tzitzis, and the tzitzis are strings, so all mitzvahs are like strings. Plus the fact that mitzvahs cause a connection, so... What does it mean that the other end of the needle has a string in it? It's talking about the mitzvah. What's the mitzvah? That after you poke through the world by being fierce and unintimidated, now you don't discard the world. You don't say, eh, fah, I don't need this world. What do I need it for? And become an ascetic and a recluse and go live on a mountaintop and then denounce the world. No. It's, 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 a, it's an, ama an amazing paradox that you see even adults have difficulty with, and the Rebbe is speaking to children about it. See, there are people who can say, I don't want anything to do with the world, I don't need the world, I don't have to bow down to the world. Yeah, but then they just renounce it and have nothing to do with it. Then there are other people who say, no, I love the world, and I want to be part of it, and I want to throw myself into it. And they have no standards and no boundaries, and, and, the, and the world becomes a, a lord over them. But here, the paradox is the two ends of the needle. One end, the sharp end, is tough and pointy and sharp, and that's that fierce attitude toward the world. You don't tell me what to do. I'm here. I'm on a mission. I'm going to tell the world how it needs to behave in order to be useful. And then, after I've taken that sort of that, that, that air of authority and, 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 and boldness, I don't discard the world, then I include it. I bring through the other end of the needle. I am the needle. I bring the string through the mitzvah, and I incorporate the world into mitzvahs. So I look around and I say, how can this thing be used to do a mitzvah? We take the, the, the stones and the bricks and the, and the cement and we and, and, and build a shul or build a hospital or and, and we, you, to look at the food and you consume the food and use the calories in order to daven or in order to do acts of kindness. The point is we look at the world and everything in the world is raw material in order to do mitzvahs so now we haven't discarded the world even though we have this tough fierce mentality toward the world where it can't use us and we use it but what we do is we do make use of it we do make use of it and we incorporate it all into doing a mitzvah so it's that paradox the both ends of the needle the the the, the fierce attitude toward the world then also the now and now let's figure out how to use it let's figure out how to incorporate it how to include it you know like the rebbe's um stance on technology always was, that if Hashem released a new technology or knowledge of how to do a certain thing in the world at this time, 
then it's not to be rejected and renounced. You know, uh, the Rebbe spoke about this when, when Hasidic teachings first started being on the radio. So don't, don't reject the radio just because there's secular things and, and unwholesome things on the radio. No, you have to use the radio. You have to use it. That's the purpose why the radio was created, in order to teach Hasidic teachings. The same thing with the internet. Don't reject it. Get rid of it. Be a tough needle that pokes through, right? But at the same time, after you've poked through, now incorporate it, bring the string through it, and use that thing of the world to do a mitzvah. Okay. Now we continue. Then the Rebbe explains, why was the needle impure in the first place? Why was it impure in the first place? So here's the thing. If our job is to go connect the physicality of the world to its maker... The Rebbe says, you can't sit in the Beis HaMikdash, in the Holy Temple, and accomplish that. You can't sit in Jerusalem, the Holy City. You can't stay in Israel, the Holy Land. You have to go out into the world. And when you go out into the world, it's an inevitability. You're going to be exposed to impurity. So why was the needle impure in the first case? Remember, the whole case in the Mishnah is that the needle is impure and needs to be purified. Why was it impure? Why? Because to do our job of connecting the physicality of the world to its maker, we're going to go out into the world... We're going to be among things that, for ourselves, we would have sequestered ourselves. We would have sheltered ourselves. But in order to do our job, we have to put ourselves out there. So we become like this needle that's exposed to impurity. So that's, that's, that's another lesson. You can't just stay sequestered in a safe place in, where it's you know, your spiritual cocoon where it's warm and cozy. You have to go into the world even though you're going to be exposed to spiritual peril. And it's an occupational hazard that we have to be willing to undertake. You see how the Rebbe sent his shluchim all over the world, right? Because it's not there, you're not there to, 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 to have fun. To the contrary, you're a needle. You're there to, to be fierce and to, to be bold, like the needle that pokes through, but also to bring the string through, to incorporate everything into a mitzvah. In order to do that act of sewing, you've got to be out there. And if you're going to be out there, it could happen. You'll be exposed to something you wouldn't have been exposed to. Okay, so the needle will become spiritually impure. All right, so now we have to purify it. So how do you purify it? with water. What's the water? Torah is compared to water. Why is Torah compared to water? First of all, because water always goes downward. I know everything goes down because of gravity, but water really goes down because you can't even stack it. You know, like bricks fall, but you could stack them. You can make a pile of bricks. Water always goes down, just spreads out. Torah also goes down because Torah is Hashem's wisdom, but it comes down to this world in ways that we can relate to it, which this itself, this, these teachings are a perfect example of that. Lofty spiritual teachings, and they come down to us. So Torah is water. But furthermore, Torah is like mikvah water. The Rambam, Maimonides, says that you have to toivel yourself, you have to immerse yourself in the meidas toher, in the waters of pure knowledge. And what that means is that you have to immerse yourself, not just you know, take a little uh, sip. You have to immerse yourself in the waters of pure knowledge. And, and the Rebbe says, for the, for the child, what does that mean? It means a day cannot go by that you don't have a Torah class. A day cannot go by that you don't recite words of Torah by heart. Why? Because that's your mikvah water. That you're going to go out into the world to do your sowing, to unite two things and make them one, to make the world and Hashem one. And when you're doing your sowing, you're out in the world, you're going to be exposed to impurity. Now we've got to purify you. How do you do it? With the water, the mikvah water, the purifying water of Torah, you have to have Torah in your life every single day. Okay. But it, it doesn't stop there. <laughs> I'm telling you. I'm telling you. It doesn't end. Okay. Then, 
the Rebbe speaks about, um, see, this is challenging even for adults. In my experience, adults have trouble with this. Sometimes you tell them that something uh, metaphorically represents such and such, and then you tell them it also metaphorically represents another thing, and they're like, hold on a second, you just changed it on me. And the truth is, when you're speaking in symbols, there are levels and there are layers, and one thing can represent two different ideas. It happens all the time in Hasidic and Kabbalistic teachings. I, I, I know, you know from experience that a lot of times even adult students have, have trouble with that and they get confused. Here the Rebbe is teaching it to children and uh, he says like this, water we said is, um, is uh, Torah, but water is also another thing. Water is trouble. What do I mean water is trouble? There's a concept of uh, Maim Rabim. King Solomon says in his Song of Songs, even Maim Rabim, even a, a deluge of, of, of abundant waters cannot wash away the love. The waters of, uh, the abundant waters mean distractions, physical, uh, material things. Now for an adult, it's what we call tirdes harparnasa, worries about making a living. For a child, obviously, they don't have worries about making a living. But six-year-olds have worries. I know we laugh at it and we think, if I only had a six-year-old's problems, my life would be great. But you don't understand. A six-year-old doesn't just have a six-year-old's problems. A six-year-old has a six-year-old's problems with a six-year-old's coping mechanisms. Okay? So trust me, they do have problems. And they feel, you know, they feel stress. And, they, and, and so the water is like the stress that comes in and inundates your life. And, and the water also, though, is sort of purifying. We know this, you know, the idea that a mikvah is memsaws, 40 measures. And the 40 measures are like the 40 days of the flood with Noah. And, and the purpose of the flood wasn't to punishment, it was purification. It was to reset the world. The world was dysfunctional. And the flood was there to purify it like a mikvah purifies. And, and, that, and how does it purify? Tvila, which is, which is immersion, the word, the Hebrew word, tvila, which means immersion, is the same letters as habitl. Habitl means the nullification, self-abnegation, surrender to Hashem. So when the water comes and destabilizes you and you're underwater, and when you're underwater, you can't even breathe, so you're totally uh, dependent, right? You really feel that powerlessness. Ah, at that moment, then there's that release, that surrender to Hashem, and now the purification occurs, okay? When the ego is gone, the EGO, the edging got out, and then the purification comes. So the question is, though, how much, of a, how much water do you need? How much distraction in life, meaning problems, do we need to be purified? So the Rebbe says like this, it doesn't, it doesn't take a tsunami. You don't have to be overrun with problems in every aspect of your life just beating you down like a tidal wave. It can be just a little gal. You just push the water to and fro, a hin in the head, and the little water just will cover up for even a second, and that's enough to hide that the, the needle is pure. So we don't have to have major problems. Even little problems are enough already to purify us, to give us that sense of uh, reliance on Hashem. Okay, now one more thing. There's one, one more thing. This cave, the cave also has a double meaning here because on one hand, the cave is a mikvah. That's where the purifying waters are, in the cave. But at the same time, the cave is a descent. You're going down into the cave. It's underground. 
So remember we said before that in order to do your act of sowing, you have to go out into the world. You can't just stay sequestered in your holy confines. You have to go out, okay? So going out into to exile isn't just going out. It's going out and going down, going into the world, into secular places, into places that are maybe even inhospitable or maybe even outright antagonistic to, to spirituality. So that's like going down into the cave. The cave is the exile where we go to do our work of uniting creator and creation. Now, here's the thing. Here's what you have to understand. That even when we go down into the cave, and we have to go into the cave, we can't avoid it. But where do we stand in the cave? We're the needle, remember. So where was the needle placed in the cave? Almilas Hamaida, on the steps of the cave, <laughs> on the top step. So even though we're in the cave, but we're on the top step of the cave, right by the exit, barely inside the cave. So it's this, again, a paradox. Then on one hand, the child has to know, you can't stay sequestered in your holy little environment, in your spiritual cocoon. You have to go out into the world, and you have to go deal with things. At the same time, don't go into the thick of it. Don't join it. Be in the world, but don't be immersed in it. Go out of your comfort zone, but don't make the world your new comfort zone. In other words, you have to leave your comfort zone, enter the world, but never really truly become comfortable with it because you're there for a shlichus, you're there for a mission. So you're in the cave because that's where the work needs to be done, but you're not down in the depth of the cave. You're on the top step, right by the exit, you know, barely inside, just close enough to be able to do the work that you need to do. Anyway, <clears throat> these are teachings based on one line of one Mishnah, that uh, the Rebbe brought out from his father's deep erudite esoteric teachings in a way that, are, that is understandable and applicable for children. And uh, with, with Hashem's help, we should all internalize these ideas and we should all apply them. And it uh, should be a great schus for the Rebbe's father. And um, the main thing is that we should, uh, we should have Mashiach already and we should be reunited with all these great Jews, great, uh, our great forebearers and leaders, and they should be reunited with us here in this world, this physical world, which we have been sowing, we have been revealing how it's all one with, with godliness all along.